Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the two stars from The Zone of Interest, Christian Friedel and Sandra Huller, followed by Dan Baer's interview with the film cinematographer, Lukasz Zal, and the supervising sound designer, Johnny Byrne. I'm being joined right now by two of the main actors from one of the year's most acclaimed films, The Zone of Interest, Christian Friedel and Sandra Huller. Christian, Sandra, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this amazing movie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And I, I say amazing like it's this incredibly uh, uplifting film when it's quite the opposite. It's a, it's a movie that stays with you. I saw it at the Cannes Film Festival at its world premiere, and I have not been able to shake it ever since. It made me queasy to my stomach in all the best ways, uh, to where I instantly declared, well, that's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. It has tremendous power behind it. What was it like for both of you when you first got the screenplay from Jonathan? Did it, did it also have that same kind of stomach-turning power to it, if you will? <laughs> I think this in the screenplay it wasn't visible what it would be. It was more mm. the artistic choices that Jonathan and his team have made around it that made it made this film into what it is now. But the first time I realized that it was about this family and this period of time and this place that it's playing in, that turned my stomach literally. I felt really repulsed by it and really sick. And I it took me a long time to befriend myself with the idea of being a part of it. And it had to do with Jonathan and the team around him. And of course, with Christian, that I made this choice in the end. Yeah. And I was really surprised about the story because I didn't know that the family lives so close to the camp and daddy goes to work and they build uh, their own paradise there and, and hear the sounds, smell, the air so this this was really surprising and I was curious I grew up with Jonathan's work without knowing that this director's name is Jonathan Glazer but um, I was curious how his vision how he works on that and how he built this story or this um, that that I was really curious to to see that I was really surprised when I watched the movie for the first time and it was really surprised about his decision, the post-production work. And uh, yeah, that was really, really amazing to see the final film. And when when I'm thinking about reading the script at the beginning and then 
to see the movie it's it's amazing so this way yeah mm -hmm. it's a real directorial vision uh would you say that the screenplay was a, a blueprint for all of you to work off of because I, I have heard about the production process of how cameras were placed. You guys went about your daily lives with on the set. Um, but what were those conversations then like in terms of portraying these characters and what the arc of the story would be? Uh, how What were those conversations with Jonathan like before you got to set? I think for me, we the decision was that it's not a biopic, so therefore not a portrayal of these people. It's a portrayal mm -hmm. of the atrocities that take place behind the wall yeah. and about the capability of humans to just forget about that, to go on living their lives with their little meaningless luck in it uh, while they accept the horror that it costs um so that it would be about us in a way and that we would have to yeah portray our own blindness and our own uh longing for convenience or whatever so it would yeah. yeah that was the uncomfortable thing that we talked about all the time and we had a lot of conversations and we had to postpone the project because of the COVID situation and we had one more year I thought that it was that was great because um, sometimes you need time to dive into this to dive into the project, and we had a lot of conversations about the script, about the characters, about the energy of the couple, and sometimes we made we changed the script a little bit together. So, and that was the pre preparation for our search. So, and then. With all the material Jonathan had, he had the possibility to make his decisions, how he built this film together or how, yeah. And and that was great because uh, Jonathan was interested in our interpretation or what we are thinking about this couple, the characters and some of the particular scenes so and some sometimes he had the feeling okay i have to change the scene after our conversations and it was really great so and it he was very transparent from the beginning and we were it, it was an invitation to be a part of the whole process and that so was really great yeah. very fair very transparent yeah. and collaborative yeah yeah and i hear that he let you guys uh, pretty much do like I said anything you guys wanted uh, on the set when the cameras were rolling you guys didn't know where the cameras necessarily were at times so there is a element of stage theatricality to it where you always have to be on uh, how long would those takes go before Jonathan would say okay cut well at least 10 minutes and sometimes it was he told me 45 but even longer Wow. As long as this little, you know, the the card would, would, yeah, hold, would hold work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so sometimes we started from the beginning, sometimes even without him saying anything, he just left us in the house, which could feel very uncomfortable and manipulative to be treated like that by a director. It wasn't, but it, it wasn't that case. I can't really explain it. It was the, the super surveillance that happened all the time 
um, made us aware that he's there and watching all the time. And sometimes it even felt like we were communicating without words. So we started from the beginning doing something different until he would come into the house and say, okay, let's try another way or yeah. Yeah. I forgot the question. No, the, no it's, the answer. It's, it's quite right. Actually, this is actually a good time for me to ask you guys for such a depressing subject and something that's really, uh, you know, it doesn't add levity uh, much to uh conversations that one would have about these characters but what did you guys do on set to i guess keep the mood uh light in between takes if you will um was there anything going on in between to kind of brighten things up a little bit or no i didn't feel that was necessary okay wanted necessary to sit to sit with it all the time and be aware of it all the time it doesn't mean to make yourself suffer from something on purpose that's not what i mean it was just Mm -hmm. It's something that you can't move away from. It's there. We were literally a hundred meters from the original camp. So yeah. it's something that you can't, yeah, you can't just hide from it or anything. We both played cards sometimes. Yeah. But I don't know if we laughed so much around it. We were just yeah. doing something in between. But we, as I said, the, or as Christian also described it, we arrived in the morning, we went to makeup to let these, these beautiful hackers do this hair. And then we went into the house and we stayed there basically until the day, the shooting day was over. So there was not so much spare time on set that you would have to bridge, you know, like in, in a normal shooting. Yeah. It was really... Um... In an, an intense shooting with a lot of tension the whole time, and we we stayed in the tension for hours, and it, it was important. Um, and sometimes I hate the interruption with with the break uh, to to have a lunch, because sometimes you want to stay there, but sometimes we had finished to lunch, and then they changed some camera positions or something for the visual effect things. And then we blocked the next scene for the next day, and that that was. But yeah, it was it was an intense shooting day every day, yeah. and every day was different. What 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 Sandra said? Sometimes we had uh, ten minutes scenes. Sometimes we had an improvisation for one and a half hour, or the first shooting day together we had this picnic scene at the at the lake, and oh, yes. that was three, two or three hours. And we we were sitting there, coming back, going into the water, have a swim, coming back, eating some cookies, and we don't know what's going on, but we are there. Uh, we were, we had a picnic as a family, and we had all the time in the world to feel we are together here, and it was I, I really enjoyed that because it was it was smart to start with this scene together to knowing, to learning how this process is working. So, um, and I really like that because in this scene, we we really don't know where the cameras were. Yeah, at the same yeah. time, it was really different for me. It was a nightmare because you you knew that you were observed, but you didn't yeah. know from where. The feeling was so intense yeah. to me. Of course, as an actor, you enjoy the possibility, you know, to get to like play together for the first time in this sort of surrounding because it was a beautiful place but at the same time as I said it's a complete nightmare it's Mm -hmm. something that you don't want to 
you don't want to experience something like that, you know. Was there ever a time where you accidentally looked into the camera without realizing that that's where the camera was? I don't know. So maybe, <laughs> no, he, maybe, maybe yeah. it's in the in the material, but nobody told us. No. But I think we are trained to ignore some some things surround us. When we play theater, we sometimes we feel the audience, but we yeah, especially we, when they leave. Especially when German audience is very special, um, but but uh, when we are uh, in traditional way filmmaking, we have all the technicians. Sometimes they are in our eyeline, and and then we have we are trained to ignore that fact that people are surround us, and we are acting like we are we are alone in in a room, and and, and here he, we were alone. Here we room. were alone in the in the room or on on a beautiful lake so and that was really um i really not i cannot say liked it but i i'm really grateful about this experience yeah absolutely it sounds like you both took it very seriously and it's very serious subject matter given um you know what we've seen all over the world with the rise uh, neo-fascism and um, I mean especially here in the states uh, in many many areas what is the main like takeaway that you would hope that audiences would get from this material because it it is a period film but it also does have I think tremendous amount of relevancy to today I think uh, Jonathan said uh, at our f first meeting he said he wanted to make a modern movie not an historical one and I think this is for me very his vision. This movie is a movie about human beings because there, there were human beings doing terrible things to other human beings, and it, it's it repeats history repeats unfortunately, yeah. and it makes me sad that this fact exists. We are we have the art to think about ourselves to learn from the past, but humans. The, the complexity of human being still exists so and we have to be aware there's a darkness exists in all of us and i think this is a movie about this darkness our choices our decisions we made and we live in very political very difficult political times we have discussions in germany again about anti-semitism the fascism is growing even in in germany too in in europe too yeah. And in the normal political system, it's not absolutely. some underground yeah, everything. Yeah, They're yeah, in yeah. government. And they speak a language we never heard it for a long time. And now it's it's possible. And this is it scares me. It makes me sad. And I think this movie is a movie who reminds us what can happen and what people are capable for. And this is, I think, for me, my personal. This is the message of this movie. Watch, observe an ordinary, sometimes boring family, but the choices they made, they, yeah, we have to learn about that fact. Yeah. To me, it tells something about that fascism has never really been gone. When you see, when you look at the last scene, when we come back from the memorial scenes to Hus, and he's just going on his path. He's just moving on. Uh, it shows me that we're 
yeah, it's never really been gone. I think the pain that that came from the atrocities that happened in in the Holocaust has been very present for a long time, but this pain in the people in people's heads is sort of fading. And they are they have to be reminded that to to prevent something like this happening again, you have to actively stand in the way of it. It is not something that is like some sort of fashion that's coming up and it will go away again. It is something that has to be fought because it is inside human beings. People are looking for very simple solutions for very complicated problems. That's what we do. And we have to be reminded of that it's not it's not simple. It will never be in this idea of kind of to kill one part of humanity in order to be superior in order to be the stronger one or the better one or to have a more simple life is something that will never ever work but people are again and again trying to tell us that this is the way so that that's what this comes to mind reminds of us of that we have to actively decide and act against against fascism absolutely well, the film, I think, definitely can be a tool for that. I imagine that this will be shown across schools. I imagine that it will have a very, very long lifespan and it will hopefully achieve that desired effect. I know it certainly did uh, for all of us uh, to be more consciously aware of this and to take action against that evil that we are actively forever fighting against. Christian, congratulations on the film. Sandra, congratulations also, too, on one hell of a year, by the way. Uh, and uh, congratulations to both of you together, uh, along with Jonathan, on this really, really amazing, incredible film, The Zone of Interest. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Lucas Zal and Johnny Byrne, the cinematographer and sound designer for The Zone of Interests. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dad. My pleasure. Thank you. Very excited that I get to speak to the two of you at the same time, because I know I'm not the all, the first person to have made this statement, but the zone of interest feels very much like two different films, the one that we see in the foreground and the one that we hear in the background. And now I'm talking to the person responsible for the seeing, the visuals, and the audio components of this film. I imagine that the film had sort of always been conceptualized this way in the script. But how did each of you become involved in the film and what was your reaction to this script? Oh, so maybe Johnny? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've known John for almost three decades and um, and he mentioned this film, you know, quite quite a while back. And, and then I think I first saw the script about a year before and, and you know, and then phoned him back and said, wow, you know, <laughs> you need a lot of sound. This is... Um, how are we going to do this? And and so certainly the script um, alluded to this idea that you would only hear um, the atrocities and um, and absolutely, you know, John was it's mandatory. We we definitely are not going to go inside the camp. I don't want to show any violence. That's that's unnecessary. And so yeah, I you know for, for my part, I I was um, 
yeah, I, I read the script and then panicked out loud about how the hell will we face the you know the responsibility of of getting these sounds right and and its impact upon making the film work. What was yours like, Lukash? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like there are two films. Yeah, one film is about like a family, like a family who is just living their their life, and there is another film in sound. So yeah, when I first um, time read the script, and of course, I um, I don't know John for for such a long like like Johnny because we just met uh, in November, uh, so it means half a year before shooting. Uh, I shot a commercial with John because John wanted to check how it's how it is working with me, so we just shot one thing, and then you know when. Uh, he sent me a script. I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was blown away by 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 this, like how I was immersed in this story uh, of this family, of just you know that how you are witnessing this 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 life of this normal family, and you are somehow immersed in this, and you, I was forgetting during a reading what I'm reading because I was forgetting all the time about this what is. What is happening there behind the behind the wall? And I was like all the time was like striking me that that you know I'm reading about family, and then I remind myself, wow, but what is happening there? It changes completely. And also, what was for me amazing, I'm mean, amazing. It it just I think smashed me that you during a reading this script, you are just somehow when it's this is progressing, you are just somehow see yourself in this. Uh, that you uh, have, you know, the same life, the same struggle, the same problems. Yeah, that was kind of made me just, you know, I think in a, in the middle of this script of reading this, I, I I knew that I wanna I wanna do that. I wanna, yeah, I wanna be part of this because it's it's amazing to to surf to yeah to 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 to, to talk about it. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And what was your collaboration for, for the both of you? What was the collaboration like with Jonathan Glazer working on this? Because I can only imagine how everything in this film is working so closely together. And I can imagine that must have been a very interesting and different process from the usual. Go on, Lucas, your production. I'll do post. Ah, yeah, I was first. Image was first. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, you came and did different film. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was amazing, amazing journey because I think you know John is, I mean he's completely non-compromising. You know he just came with this idea of you know ten cameras of this kind of idea of Big Brother in a Nazi house, and we are. I think everything was the the process. I think everything was in flux. We were together with 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 John, Chris, Chris Audi, Mark Wilson. You know, I mean we are just immersed in this world you know we're just going to the locations wrecking scouting talking taking pictures and then when we are very well prepared and we have very well 
scheduled everything then when we are coming to the set and we are setting up the cameras that was another thing because very often it didn't work what we i mean what we anticipate very often when we just put 10 cameras together on set then we just started to refine it and looking for for just you know different positions changing moving back that was quite an amazing process of just looking for this so you know we we had of course idea and we are very well prepared but working on this film was, was like a constant constant process where we're like together in this and we are just just talking discussing changing making mistakes sometimes you know making step back and yeah, it, I think it looked like this for the through the, the all the all, all all the production, you know, just constant digging in this, constant questioning, constant wondering, constant just placing cameras, moving, changing, etc., etc. It was basically the same every day that you know we were not happy, or sometimes we were happy, and then we were making this work. And John never compromised. He never compromised. He always goes for he 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 feels he wants he he needs so it's it's amazing to to work this way yeah absolutely i think i mean from all the directors i work with i i you know I, I really find with john that his um at every avenue you know he'll completely change the whole direction of, of where we're going if he finds there's something that is on that day more more kind of interesting and 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 could lead to a better film and certainly you know right the way from um production sound mixer Tarn villas's amazing wiring up of the house and and recording of all the production sound all the way through post-production where you know there's for the for the bulk of it it's um you know it was Mika Levy and editor Paul Watts and and myself and John you know spending many months together figuring out together you know how to, how to put the film in into shape and and at every point in that you know everyone has the opportunity to to have a voice and to have an idea and and we are constantly trying to make something that is, you know, that, that is unlike anything you've seen, obviously, but but so so tightly and, and uh, densely woven because of the amount of collaboration that is happening. I think I think that's how it works. Yeah, um, Lukash, I'm I was really glad that you mentioned that sort of Big Brother in a Nazi house the aesthetic that that you were working with for those scenes. You mounted ten cameras throughout this set in in their house when did that idea first appear to have these 10 mounted cameras and how long did it take to figure out <laughs> what the right places and angles were for them <laughs> you know john, today john told me that he at the beginning he had idea of 50 cameras and oh, and then of course <laughs> but then but then of course the 10 was the amount we could afford and i think that was a, a kind of a reasonable amount of cameras because i think more than 10 would be a, a bit harder but you know john came with this because uh, he he came with this idea of 10 cameras so he he when he came to me for the first time with this project he told me like he would like to have a kind of a one big eye camera as an eye but of course, you know everything comes from this concept just to to witness, to 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 present this, not to judge, not to not to put any interpretation, just not to feel anybody behind the camera. So that that was the concept of being simple, being modest, being just yeah, just present that you know with 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 any any special look. Because how can how could I 
somehow as a cinematographer could impose and 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 look and a style i i think that would be that would be terrible but you know when we just decide because it was also financial decision that we can afford on 10 cameras so then we start to we start to work on how and where are we going to put them how are we going to look like uh in terms of you know in terms of positions in terms of just also there was very important a critical distance you know not to not to be too close to just have this distance where you can observe but but we do not put any an interpretation to to this image and trying to be as objective as as possible so you know and as i said at the beginning it was just a really constant process because we're revisiting locations we just you know our first the most important moment was like where we had the location of the house and the garden so we just with a script we we were just going to the house every day and we were going through the scenes and just somehow we're placing or john was standing or sometimes lying on being in a bed or just you know or on and uh and chris with all the production designer was with us and mark mark wilson so we were just trying to play those scenes like a technically just placing people us and then taking pictures and looking for looking for camera angles you know so i was taking all the pictures and then i was gathering this to make a plans for my crew but you know that was the first attempt so when we did it when we go through the script and we did all the scenes then we just before shooting we were coming to the location one more time or i don't know many times and then we are just taking pictures one more time looking for uh, positions then i was pre prepping the document for a crew where with the floor plans where particular cameras are going to be and then while we were in a prep day very often we were changing everything because quite often it didn't work uh it looked didn't look good and you know when we were in our container uh and just we were looking at 10 uh cameras 10 monitors their image 10 images at the monitors then you know then the real process was on then we were changing refining moving on very often you know i was going there to, to to the set to the garden or to the house and i was with my my team so we were replacing cameras then i was going back to john we we're discussing we we're just observing what is not working still and then i was talking with my camera operator and with my with, with camera assistants and we we're just changing like 10 cameras at the same time so it was basically every day there was like a five three five hours process of just yeah just 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 refining and finding those 10 angles and uh yeah and then we were shooting and then i was just going to the container and sitting with john in a container and losing control and and you know the, then just witnessing what is happening in front of the camera that's really incredible <laughs> like going in every day and having to fix, change and fix those positions that's that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> yeah, yeah because you know it was it was funny because it was every day you know it was like we we're just sitting in, in this container and looking you know in a monitor and then it's like what do you think and then we were, we were just going through every camera and then, you know, this is terrible. This is terrible. Oh, this is amazing. This is great. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is awful. Oh, my God. And then, and every day there was basically the same. I don't know why. We were just laughing with John that because, you know, even when we knew the process so well, 
and we are we are so advanced in a, in a shooting period it didn't change it was always terrible <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible johnny i had read an interview where you had said that with our collective knowledge of what happened during this time every single sound no matter how loud it is is extremely violent and i that that's absolutely true from my experience of watching the film but knowing that how did you determine what were the right levels for these sounds happening just over the garden wall from where the action is taking place absolutely i mean we uh yeah it, it was a long process i mean we had uh, our library of of sound that i spent a year gathering and and knowing that that was a kind of accurate representation and then we had um the kind of film one the the family drama and and we started at the beginning and initially we we began by randomly placing sound because we thought that was the most accurate way to do it you know if they were not going to be reacting to it then then that was what we would do and um i also had a a map that i'd made of the whole of the auschwitz compound and the and the garden and understanding how uh, sound would atrophy across time and and so that i could place things you know so it was a from from the point of view of sound levels and and the kind of echo and reflection of all the many hard surfaces that were in there um you know that was a very scientific thing and i think that was hugely important because um you know it you you kind of really do believe what you're hearing i think there's you know um it's a very kind of natural feel to it there's no sort of gloss or sensationalization of it um so yeah so john and i went through um from the beginning of the film and we we spent many months layering sound in and and we had a weird thing that if we were um if we were playing sound if if we played the film from sort of halfway through on a on one morning halfway through a week we would find that everything sounded really too loud and that and that it was um you know that we sounded like we'd made a mistake on yesterday's work but it was only actually true that when we played the film from the beginning if if you played the film from the beginning and you got to an hour in everything would sound absolutely correct but but you know because you sort of have the experience of dialing it out as you go so um so yeah it was a um a, a long process of placing sound so that it didn't sound like it had been placed and and unusually for a film normally you'd want the actors to be reacting to what you're putting on in the background but here it was the opposite and i know that when you know when sandra and christian first saw the the film you know they were amazed really because obviously during filming you know they they had not heard any of it of course and and you know the reality is was that that camp wall really was you know like 50 feet from the the garden and from the kitchen where they would drink coffee you know and so um getting that accurate and and having it um having you know the mundanity of their life juxtaposed against you know this pervasive sound of atrocity was was something that um when we finally saw it actually work um was was really quite sort of stunning that you know how how well that constant you know um you can close your eyes but you can't close your ears thing how, how well that works yeah yeah it works fantastically well um we are coming up in the end of our time together unfortunately but um i before i we go i i have to ask because as a viewer watching this for an hour and 45 minutes i felt physically ill <laughs> um i and what was it like for you guys putting yourselves right in the middle of this 
topic of these people's lives for what you both said were months of production and post-production. How did you deal with with that? I mean, for, for me, I, I yeah, it, it was two years kind of, a, you know, six months of research and reading witness testimony. And, and definitely I, you know, said to my wife, I, I'm starting to feel really low. But, you know, I, I wasn't there. People have had much worse. And and but it's a it's an awful world to immerse yourself in. I'm glad the process is over, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I was. I mean, I think I was kind of wow. It was so significant being there, and you know, feel this every day, just every day, because you know, we 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 saw the towers from uh, from from our set. The, the real we, we 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 just there was a you know the real camp is was like seventy yards from our set so every day you know just because you are you are immersed in your work you know you're doing you just struggle sometimes you know you work with technology with people and communicating so you just forget what you're doing but then in a certain point i think there was even few days during a day like you just remind yourself where you are and what that this happened you know and especially where we're scouting the the real camp camps because not only this uh this 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 main but also we were in a different places and that was wow that was really hard and you know Bartek Rainsky co-producer he was he was telling me when we were on Rekis he was explaining me a lot he was just giving me a lot of information it's like you know in every place we were he was giving me so much so many informations about what happened and you know things which you cannot read in the books and and then just reminding yourself what you are doing, you know, what we, what happened here, you know, like, for example, we're shooting in a, in a gas chamber. And I think that was, that was one of the weirdest days when we're in a real, in a camp shooting those, you know, documentary part. And then it was six o'clock or something like that, because we were before cleaners, cleaning ladies there. And then I remember like my camera operator asked me, Lukash, could you check the frame? Do you like the frame? And it's like, Stahu, how can I, I mean, how can you estimate the frame? How can you like the frame in a gas chamber? And you know, you are there, you can see those scratches on the wall and you are just framing the, this gas chamber and you can imagine that eight years ago, what was happening in this place. And I think it's really hard to describe this feeling, you know? I mean, I was living in a in a nature by the little, little lake and my, you know, friends, place i was living in a camper van just the half of a film the first half of a film i wanted just to be alone because i wanted to focus and also i didn't want to live in a hotel i wanted just to go to the nature after all and uh and then you know swimming or running because just need to decompress after this and then after you know when i felt very that everything works really well and you know uh and and there is I, I when i felt safe with all the technology and you know and the method we are doing uh, so then i moved to the hotel and I, I i was with people but the first part i wanted to be in nature that's you know to have an option to to decompress and you know going back from set and going to the set from my place i was passing the camp every day every morning and every evening i was passing the real camp going back my my camper van I can only imagine what that experience must have been life, but the experience for now on, of the film is for everyone to see, and it's incredibly powerful. So thank you both for your work on the film. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Lukash, Johnny, uh, and congratulations on your on the film. It's incredible. Thank you, Dan.
Good to talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the two stars from The Zone of Interest, Christian Friedel and Sandra Huller, and Dan Baer's interview with the film cinematographer, Lukasz Zal, and the film supervising sound designer, Johnny Byrne, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Zone of Interest is now currently playing in select theaters from A24 and is the British entry for the Best International Feature Film at the 96th Annual Academy Awards and is up for your consideration in all eligible categories including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.